Hi and welcome to St Ninian Sermons Podcast. I'm Stuart Cutler and I'm the Minister at St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse in Scotland. St Ninian's is a local ecumenical partnership between the United Reformed Church and the Church of Scotland and that means that we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. This week we focused on John chapter 7 verses 32 to 52. So let's hear this week's passage read by John and then hear the sermon. listen for the word of God. John's going to read for us today from John chapter 7, continuing from where we left off last week. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about Jesus. So they and the chief priests sent some guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I shall go away to him who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, because you cannot go where I will be. The Jewish authorities said amongst themselves, Where is he about to go? And that where shall we find that we will shall not find him? Will he go to the Greek cities where the people live and teach the Greeks? He says that we will look for him, but we will not find him, and that we cannot go where he will be. What does he mean? On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Whoever is thirsty should come to me. Whoever believes in me should drink. As the scripture says, streams of life-giving water will pour out from his side. Jesus said about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were going to receive. At this time, the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not been raised to glory. Some of the people in the crowd heard them say this and said, This man really, is he really a prophet? Others said, He is the Messiah. But others said, The Messiah will not come from Galilee. The scripture says that the Messiah will be a descendant of King David, and he will be born in Bethlehem, the town where David lived. So there was a division in the crowd because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. When the guards went back, the chief priests and Pharisees asked them, Why did you not bring him to us? The guards answered, Nobody has ever talked like this man. Did he fool you too? The Pharisees asked them. Have you ever known, have you known one of the authorities or Pharisees to believe in him? This crowd does not know the law of Moses, so they are cursed. One of the Pharisees there was Nicodemus, the man who had gone to see Jesus before. He said to the others, according to our law, we cannot condemn anyone before hearing him and finding out what he has done. Well, they answered, are you also from Galilee? Study the scriptures and you will learn that no prophet ever comes from Galilee. So the reading this week continues from last week. So if you weren't here last week, here's the the bit that they go previously on. Um, Last week we heard about the festival of booths or tabernacles. It's a harvest festival where the people come and thank God for God's provision and for God's presence. So they remember all the way back to their liberation from Egypt where God looked after them in the desert as they wandered in the wilderness. And they gave them food. So it's a festival that's about celebrating being saved by God. That's kind of the point. A festival that's about celebrating being saved 
by God. We have a word for that. We call that salvation. That's what that means, being saved by God. We heard how the people were unsure whether or not this Jesus is the Messiah. And we hear some of that conversation again this week. So you're getting a history lesson. This week, I know some of you really like that and some of you are like, oh, here we go. Um, but, but knowing what happens at the festival is really important. Because what Jesus does is in relation to the festival. So the rituals of the festival are built around water. The story of Moses, remember when Moses hit the rock with his stick when they were in the desert and the people had nothing to drink and Moses hits a rock and water comes from the rock. That's one of the really important stories for the people. And so the, the festival's kind of built around that. The idea that when the people were about to die, God gives them water. Okay? So every day the priests process from the temple to the pool of Siloam. We've got him about that. My cool Siloam Shady Rill, right? So there's a pool, the pool of Siloam. It was built in the reign of Hezekiah and around about somewhere between 715 and 786 BC. And it provided water for the city inside the city. Lots of the springs in Jerusalem run outside the city. So they made a pool that was inside the city so that if somebody came and laid siege to Jerusalem, the people would still be able to get water. Okay? So living water, life-giving water in the middle of the city. And during the festival, the priests process down to the pool of Siloam and they've got a big golden jug and they scoop out some water and then they process back to the temple. And as they approach the gate of the temple, the water gate it's called, on the south side of the temple, trumpets sounded three times. And then the priests process around the altar three times and the temple choir would sing a psalm of thanksgiving. So something like our psalm uh, 118, a kind of joyful psalm. And the people would carry bunches of willow and myrtle, which were tied together with palm leaves, and one hand and citrus fruits and the other hand. And when the priests cry, give thanks to the Lord, the people would hold these up and they would reply, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. Okay? And then later on, the priest would say, Lord, save us. And they would do the same thing. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. And it's a joyful celebration. Right? So it's, a bit, it's like harvest here. You know, you bring in the crops and then you have a party because there's crops, there's food to eat. For another year, we're fine. Right? So it's one of those kind of celebrations. They would read passages from Ezekiel and Zechariah, which were about the prophecy of abundant water. Abundant water for Jerusalem. And those were made at a time, those prophecies were made at a time when Jerusalem had been flattened by the Babylonians. So to say that there's going to be life-giving water in Jerusalem was a big, big prophecy. A reading tells us that on the final day of this festival, it lasted for a week, for seven days, it was the most important and the most exuberant. The crowd would be bigger, people would gravitate towards the city for the last day of the festival, and instead of processing three times, the priests would process seven times. So everything was just a bit more, a bit bigger, a bit more joyful. 
And at the end of the ritual, the priest would stand behind the altar and would have two big bowls. And in one bowl, he would pour wine, and in the other bowl, he would pour water. And they would give thanks to God for giving them things to drink, and then the priest would pour out those as an offering to God. And the people at the end would say, lift up your hands so we can see you've done it. And the priest would lift up their hands to show that they had discharged their duty on behalf of the people. That the ritual had been completed. But it was also a controversial festival because it wasn't one that was really set out in the religious instructions. There are several festivals which God says to the people, you should remember this day. So the things like Passover, God dictates that that should be a festival and you should remember it for all time. This isn't one of those. It's a kind of man-made celebration. And it celebrates that God looked after the people and that the harvest has come and all that kind of stuff. But there's a bit of controversy over it. The hardliners didn't really like it very much. So God, remember, and this is important too, God lives in the temple. Remember the people thought that God lived in the Holy of Holies, the, build, the, the bit right in the middle of the temple. And that's the only place that God was. And so taking water to the temple is really important. It's an important symbol for the people. Last week I blew some of your minds by quoting Richard Rohr's statement that each of us is the second coming of Christ. I know some of you are still trying to get your head around that. Um, this week, Richard Rohr provides another helpful insight that's going to help us think about this festival. By thinking about what the word that is opposite to divine or holy. Okay, so if we're thinking about a holy festival, what's the opposite to that? And, and the word that he uses as opposite to that is the word profane. Okay, it's a word that we know, profane. So sacred and profane, holy and profane, they're opposites. The Latin word profane comes from the words pro, which means in front of, and phanum, which means temple. So profane means outside the temple. Okay, so all the things outside the temple are not holy because God lives in the temple. So everything else is profane. It's outside the temple. And that's problematic because God doesn't just live inside the temple. Without an understanding that the universe is not profane, that the universe is not bereft of spirit, we have to keep building churches and shrines to capture God. And when we do that, we domesticate God. We put God in a box, quite literally, put God in a box. And soon that we don't know where to look for the divine except in those boxes. And so we limit the presence of God to the places where we want him to be. We become a bit like a fish looking for water. And sometimes arguing about who owns the water. And it's at some point during all of this festival about living water and about provision and about God looking after us and all that kind of stuff that Jesus stands up and shouts, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and let anyone who believes in me drink. Because as the scriptures say, 
Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Today's the day that the church around the world celebrates what's called the Transfiguration. Usually we read the story of Jesus on the mountaintop where he starts to glow and change and he's different and he meets with Elijah and Moses and Peter wants to build shelters so that he can capture that experience so that we can stay because in the middle of that experience Jesus is exposed as who he really is Peter gets a glimpse of the divine Christ he's different first-hand experience of the divine and it's not in the temple it's on a mountain and in many ways this passage that we read from John is exactly the same kind of thing Transfiguration Sunday is the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany Epiphany begins with the visit of the, the Magi, the wise men on the 6th of January and so we've come all the way through January and February and we come to this last Sunday of Epiphany Transfiguration Sunday we've heard stories about John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and saying it's him about best men and bridegrooms about new cloth and wineskins about foolish builders and wise builders about wicked tenants we've heard stories of bread but remember Epiphany is all about realization and revelation each of these stories tell us something about who God really is. They help us to realize something important about Jesus. Today, standing in the middle of the temple, Jesus spells it out for us. Right in the middle of a festival celebrating the water that God sent and anticipating the living water that will come, Jesus stands up and shouts, it's me. It's me. You're talking about me. And the people do what people always do. Instead of thinking about what Jesus has just said and its implications for them, they argue over the technicalities. Like fish arguing about who owns the water. This guy from Galilee, isn't he? Yeah, I, yeah, he is. Yeah. Now, it doesn't say anything in the book that a prophet is going to come from Galilee. There is something about somebody who comes from Bethlehem, but he's not from Bethlehem, so it can't be him. Instead of actually listening to what Jesus says and actually considering the claim that he's making, the invitation that he offers, they can't get past their own incomplete picture of who they think he is. comes from Galilee because they don't know the whole story actually what they can't get past is themselves their own preoccupation with their own wants and needs actually what they're saying is I don't want it to be this guy this guy doesn't work for me and so they miss the invitation and they focus on the politics and the power struggles instead they hide behind their theology and their rules. That's why the Pharisees wanted Jesus arrested. What on earth are they supposed to do if the Messiah actually turns up? What if this guy really is who he says he is? 
Their position and status and authority and power is gone. They're not going to vote for that. They're not going to put up with somebody taking that all away from them. But what is it that Jesus has said to cause such outrage? All he's done is issue an invitation. Anyone who believes, let them come to me. Jesus is asking people to choose, to make a choice, to choose life. There's a statement. Choose life. There was a moment when Jack Dice was standing in this very pulpit at my ordination when he started to quote that famous speech from Trainspotting. You know it? Yeah? Choose life. Choose a big... And there was a moment when I thought he was going to quote the whole thing. <laughs> Profanities and all. There's that word again, profane. This time we use it to, to describe swearing. I'm still actually just a tiny bit sad that he didn't. It'd have been the best resignation letter ever written. <laughs> because that whole speech is not about choosing life. It's about choosing the opposite to life. It's about choosing consumerism, isn't it? It's about choosing things, about big televisions and the brand of trainers that you wear and all that nonsense that we call freedom to choose. It's freedom to buy. And at the end, Renton chooses not to choose life. He chooses something else. He chooses heroin. Right? That's not the choice that Jesus is offering today. Thank goodness. But the choice in this is to live a profane life or not. That's the choice that Jesus has given us today. And the same argument continues all the time between a stingy religion of tight-fisted rule keepers and the lavish generosity of God. It's a glorious picture that Jesus gives us. Living water, a well that never empties, a stream that always flows, a spring in our hearts that we carry with us wherever we go. And the implication of that is that we are then never outside the temple. We can never be profane. Because God lives in us. As St. Paul tells us, we are living temples. Temples of the living God. And that's what Jesus offers us. Life in God. Not life separate from God choose life choose God choose not being tied up to an endless cycle of sacrifices and offerings all so that someone else can make a quick profit rather than actually honouring God choose a Sabbath that's actually about rest and renewal and recreation rather than about rules and regulations what you can do and what you can't do on a day that's supposed to be about celebrating God, God who made everything out of nothing. Choose justice, real justice, based on actually loving your neighbour, not a narrow legalism and an uptight religion that's all about trying to limit your responsibilities. Choose righteousness, right living, a life based on striving for good relationships and the well-being of all. 
Choose bread. A feast that will always leave you satisfied because you will be filled with faith and hope and love. Choose water. Living water. Water that will never leave you thirsty again. Choose life. Because God is life. And the people are blind. They're so deep into the choice that they've made that they just can't see anything beyond it. They can't see who Jesus is even when he's staring them in the face. The next story that happens at the pool of Siloam is a blind man is given his sight back. Because the people just can't see it. They're so committed to their way of life, their beliefs, the lies that they've been told, the false images that they've been given of themselves and of God that they just can't see anything else. They think that the choice in offer is to follow God or go with some weird guy from the back end of nowhere. And they can't see that the weird guy from the back end of nowhere is God. The one they've been waiting for. The one that their festival gives thanks for and anticipates. The one who's standing right in front of them. So in this Transfiguration Sunday, I wonder. I wonder if we can see who Jesus really is. I wonder if we can see the Christ who offers us life. But more importantly, I wonder if we can see who we really are. I wonder if we can see past ourselves and the story that we've constructed about who we are and what we're like and what we're supposed to be. I wonder if when we look inside of us, we do see Jesus. We see a spring of living water. God at the very centre of our being. I wonder if we dare even take a sip of that. Just the smallest drop of that living water. Or if we're willing to dive into an ocean of love that God provides for all of us. And reveal the people that we are created to be. Transfigured, transformed. Recreated, renewed. Restored to life in all its fullness. All we have to do is choose. Choose life. Choose God. As always, thanks for listening. If you've got any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. You can find us on Facebook at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse or Twitter at St Ninian's Stonehouse where you can find out all about the other great things that happen in our church. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.